0: Hello everybody and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com a proud affiliate of the Hockey News. I'm your host Nick Berlansky. joined as always ...by Nick Horwat, and the Penguins have returned from the All-Star break, plus their bye week. It's been a while since they've had a game, but later tonight they take on the Winnipeg Jets, who are among the top teams in the Western Conference, one of only two teams the Penguins have yet to face this season. Plenty of storylines heading into that one, as we'll discuss in a little bit. But we also have to talk about some of the roster changes and lineup changes that we've seen over the last couple of days at Penguins practice. It looks like it's going to be a fresh look on the ice for the Penguins as they go to PPG Paints Arena later this evening. But also, we're joined by Jesse Marshall of The Athletic in a little bit to break down the Penguins' dysfunctional power play, talk a little bit about Eric Carlson and his thoughts on Carlson through 46 games with the Penguins, and an interesting anecdote about Ryan Graves and why you should probably stop trying to have your hopes up about him becoming the next Paul Martin in Pittsburgh. But we have a lot to discuss on this episode, Horwat. starting obviously with what you saw on Sunday as the Penguins got back together at UPMC Lemieux Sports Complex. A lot of injured players back for the Penguins. Seemingly, Riley Smith and John Ludwig will be available later this evening for the Pens.
1: Yeah, uh, Mike Sullivan labeled both of them as game-time decisions, a call usually not made that far in advance, but when you're coming off of... You know, your bye week in the All Star Break, uh Riley Smith really was never taken off of um the active roster. Mm-hmm. He kind of just was scratched for those games. And John Ludwig, while was on L T I R got in some uh uh got in his uh, second stint in the AHL for uh rehabilitation mm-hmm. and the word has escaped me conditioning for his conditioning stint yes. uh yeah, all signs kind of pointed to they're both going to be okay. I mean, Riley Smith was back in his normal spot on the second line with Evgeny Malkin and Drew O'Connor. Um, for the first practice, at least, John Ludwig was there with playing with Chav Ruidl, although yesterday uh, was on the fourth pair, if you will, with Colin White. So we'll see how the defensemen shape out. Um, that 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 probably that exactly probably won't be known until we see the announcement that he's off of LCIR about an hour or two before game time. So Uh, We'll see where the Ludwig thing goes, but I'd expect Riley Smith to be put right back into the lineup. Yeah, he's been practicing on the second line with Evgeny Malkin, and if you remember, before
0: he was injured, he was bumped down to the third line with Lars Zeller and Valtteri Pustin, and so Riley Smith coming back into the lineup, they're hoping that he has a jolt similar to what Ricard Raquel did when he came back from injury earlier this season. You just need him to find that chemistry that he had with Evgeny Malkin earlier in the season, and it looks like it's going to be Riley Smith, Evgeny Malkin, and Drew O'Connor. What do you think about them immediately putting him back in the top six? This vote of confidence for Riley Smith, a veteran in this league that has shown consistency in the past, but just hasn't been able to find his footing in Pittsburgh.
1: You know, I don't totally hate it. It's kind of exactly uh, where he should go. If he's really going to get his confidence back and, you know, gain that step that he needs. Uh, It's they're really, they really are just hoping for that Ricard Raquel effect almost where it is, you know, that long you struggling, 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 an injury happens. Um, and then after some time off some rest and you're, you're watching the game for a little bit uh you get back in there and maybe you don't score right away like Raquel didn't but maybe a few goals come in maybe a few assists pop in down the line a little bit the Penguins have a big week coming up uh this week with three games in the next one, two, three, four, five for five days uh and you know those are all going to be huge uh important games that if he's able to yeah they're against west coast teams but if Riley Smith is able to kind of find some footing and produce along with Malkin and Drew O'Connor. It should be um, exactly where it needs to be, and they're looking for that uh, Ricardo Cal effect almost.
0: Yeah, you can't have $5 million players that are struggling to score. I mean, he had two goals in his previous 30 games before the injury, so you're hoping that Riley Smith can bounce back. The only big difference for me is we don't know how long Ricard Raquel was dealing with an injury before he officially went on the shelf. Now, Mm -hmm. he could have just gotten injured in that last game before he, he left the lineup and before he went on LTIR. That's possible, but... There was something that seemed off about Ricard Raquel just in general in his play in the last couple of games before heading over to LTIR, whereas Riley Smith, it was clear and obvious when he got injured, what the injury was, and it wasn't something that had affected him the previous handful of games, so that was just his play, and that was just what was happening for Riley Smith when it comes to his performance. So you're hoping that he bounces back, that he's able to reset mentally and reset physically now with that upper body injury and come back and be a very big contributor for the Penguins, and you mentioned that, yeah, Yes, these three games in five days, the Penguins do have two days off after this one tonight. But these three games in five days, while, yes, they're against the Western Conference, you got a month until the NHL trade deadline. You have to start winning these games. You have to start making up ground in the Eastern Conference. If you want to be a contender by that pivotal date of March 8th, whenever Kyle Dubas has to make a decision, there's no more times to make a decision. There's no more runway that he can he can push back to once you get to March 8th. It's are you. Selling some players off? Are you buying? There's no in-between at that point. So it's interesting that Riley Smith finds himself with one month until the deadline back in the top six. And he couldn't go back into the bottom six because there's another struggling top six winger that's down there in Ricard Raquel. He's been down there for a couple of games, obviously gets the all-star break, playing alongside Lars Eller. But now joined by somebody else on the right side, we'll see the Penguins debut tonight, or at least expected to see the Penguins debut tonight, of one Yessa poole Signs a two-year contract over the weekend, $800,000 cap hit per season. Dubas had seen enough of Poole-Yarvi at the AHL level nine points four goals five assists and 13 games with wilkes barre Scranton before inking his deal a two-year deal was something that makes sense mm-hmm. I would say but something that I don't think either of us had really mentioned when talking about the poole discussion
1: no it's I like it I do like it a lot um but I think because it feels or at least for now it still kind of feels like a like a reclamation almost where he is just sort of coming in to prove he could still cut it in the NHL. Um, Maybe we were all sort of expecting it to just be this tryout year or this tryout final, however many games we have left. Uh, That's sort of just what it felt like it was going to be. He's just going to come in. He's working his way back from double hip surgery. Still unclear exactly what the hip surgery was. I have not gone back to find the initial news reports. I just keep seeing both sorts of surgeries, but regardless, I'm just calling it hip surgery. Um, seeing him come back from that, it's, it felt like this was supposed to just kind of be a, uh, just a tryout period again, you know, past an actual tryout, but an actual NHL game time where rolling through to see what he can bring tryout, mm-hmm. but with it being an extra year, um, there's stability there. There's confidence a from the front office, but also b in the player that he can not only perform this year, believe it's a one way, uh, but then into next year be that useful you know bottom six option that might be able to slide into the top if you need it uh he's got that confidence in him and there's some stability there you don't have to worry about immediately going into this offseason with okay what do we do now you know that was a good 30 games or so or however many it is now what do we do so that's mm-hmm. that's sort of off the table
0: yeah Kyle Dubas is done a good job I feel like trying to Give, him help, give himself some options when it comes to the bottom six. He's gone out, obviously, and signed a handful of bottom six players throughout this season. We've seen Colin White get some time. We've seen um, Vinnie Henestroza get some time. Obviously, Jansen Harkins was brought in. He's gotten some time. He's on an expiring deal. But I think the big thing that you look at is that $800,000 with Yesapul Yarvi getting that deal, you also have to look at somebody like Drew O'Connor who's playing for $925,000. That's something the Penguins haven't had a lot of in recent years is players that can contribute for less than a million dollars. And when you have so many players, especially on the forward side, that are making not just, hey, Jeff Carter's making whatever it is, 3.25. Yeah, that's that's not good. You certainly don't want that in the four spot, but it's... Riley Smith making 5 million. It's Ricard Raquel making 5 million. It's Brian Rust making 5 million. It's Jake Gensel making 6 million. While, yes, some of those players are contributing, and in Jake Gensel's case, contributing at a high rate, that's a lot of players to have in that middle ground. And if they're not all contributing, which we've seen at points this season from both Ricard Raquel and Riley Smith at a very vast number, that's when you have to really rely on these guys making 750 league minimum or $800,000 or 925 dollars in Drew O'Connor's case. So your hope is, yes, Yarvi comes in and he becomes that no doubt stays in the lineup top nine type of forward that could bounce up and down at that $800,000 cap hit. It could be a very big deal for next year. I like adding that second year because it's still very, very low risk. At the end of the day, if he comes back and doesn't seem to be ready or doesn't seem to be the same that he was before the hip surgeries, then it's only $800,000. You can throw him on waivers, you can send him through waivers, or somebody might claim him. It's not that much money to where you're backing yourself in the corner. It's a maneuverable contract, and I like the fact that Kyle Dubas added this. Now again, he hasn't played a single game at the NHL level with the Pittsburgh Penguins. How does this look in three months from now? That's a different question, but at $800,000, the risk is very low, and I like the fact that he tacked that other year on to give himself an option for a good depth piece mm-hmm. because that's still the ceiling for Yesapul Yarvi, and that's been a problem for the Penguins of the past couple seasons is getting depth pieces consistently playing well in the bottom six.
1: Yeah, all those you know, fun lines that we drew up a few weeks ago, I mean, not only could they happen this year, but now with maybe a little more turnover happening in the off season, who knows exactly what... Um, the summer twenty twenty four has to hold for the Penguins, but those weird, goofy lines we were coming up with now can be a possibility even into next year. Um, so maybe we the discussion of a pool land centering, pool Yarby and Pustinen. As goofy as that sounds, that's something that you know maybe we see next year. Maybe it's um, an option, you know, down the line this year. Probably not likely. So maybe there's something that can come from that next year. Uh, there's just plenty of stability to be had with Jesse Pujarvi here for the extra year, and it's something that is well deserved for him. I'm not sure how many teams had their eyes on him before uh, the Penguins brought him in, but um, you know, this is going to be a good situation for the Penguins and the player. Now,
0: he does take Valtteri Pustin in spot. You mentioned Pustin in there. That's essentially what he did. He comes up, he plays in exactly that role. Pustin was sent down before the NHL's All-Star break and before the bye week to get a little bit more seasoning to get some more games in. And I had thought, okay, they're setting them down just to get games. They're going to bring them back up after. Well, with Riley Smith being healthy and with, you know, Yesapul Yarvi being signed to the contract, there's no more space on the roster. Now people are going to say something about Colin White. Colin White is going to be the 13th forward. You want Poussin in playing. If he's not going to be in the lineup, you want him down at the AHL level playing. So, you see Pustin get sent down. What have you thought of, of his first stint at the NHL level this season? His first real stint at the NHL of his career. 21 games, which is more than I had thought in the back of my head. Eight points, one goal, seven assists, but only one assist in his last 11 games. What did you think of Terry Pustin before getting sent
1: down and now probably getting some more time in the AHL to season? Uh, I would say it was fine. I can't go any higher than that. It was just fine. Uh, he you know, looked really good at first with that initial jump, uh, but things cooled off exponentially, really. I mean, he was taken off of, I believe it was both power plays for a little bit there. Um, you know, eventually put back onto the first during that in that reshuffling, but it's it, it was just fine. He got that one goal in, and it sucks to say it, but it was kind of a garbage time goal. Um, you were already blowing out the Islanders. uh you know, if anything else, it was a very talented goal. It was a good goal scorer's goal that he mm-hmm. uh, definitely needed to get under his belt. But um, with that being the main highlight mm-hmm. so far, it's yep. you know not much coming from it. And the confidence—I don't want to say the confidence—looked to seemed to dip toward the end of the run there. Um, but something sort of evaporated, and then mm-hmm. the game sort of slowed down. Uh, his ice time was getting cut down quite a bit, and then. You know, like I said, that reshuffling of the lines, of the power play lines, gave him another opportunity, but um, just a matter of getting that footing from the first 10 games or so that he had and maintaining that. That's what he has to do, mm-hmm. and he just, I don't want to say he just couldn't, but he couldn't. Uh, it's, yeah. it's the way it is, and Mike Sullivan, I think, I forget when it was asked and when he answered it and how long ago this was now, but he put it nicely in saying that when guys get called up, you know, the first handful of games or so, there's still that. Drive that, that uh, adrenaline rush almost, and then once that fades, you know that's when you really learn who a player is. You just hope they don't, you know, fade too much. Uh, yeah. It just seemed like in this situation, he uh, just faded just a bit too much for uh, Sullivan's liking.
0: Now, here's the thing. I don't think he lost it just simply because he wasn't performing well. I think he lost it because there was a guy in Yesapul Yarvey who was performing very well at the AHL level and a guy in Yesapol Yarvey who also has a lot of NHL experience Mm -hmm. and has performed well at the NHL level in his in his past. Whereas Pustin, he's very young still. Yeah. Like this is his first cup of coffee at the National Hockey League level. But like you mentioned, it's exactly what we see every single year from Redeem Zahorna. It is that first adrenaline rush of, hey, I'm back at the NHL level. I'm trying to make a name for myself. I'm trying to stick he gets that first couple of games, handful of games, maybe up to 10 games, where he looks really good. There was a time this season where both me and you were saying, Man, Redeem Zahorna is an everyday NHLer now. Like, what a find. Mm-hmm. And then he dropped off drastically. Now, here's the difference between a guy in Redeem Zahorna and a guy in Valtteri Pustin, outside of the obvious, which is the age. The floor for Pustin in, was so much higher than the floor for Redeem Zahorn in his performance. Even towards the tail end of this 21-game stretch, where he had one assist in 11 games, I think you could tell that the floor as far as performance was much, much higher. And the ceiling is obviously much higher because he's still a prospect. He's still a young player in this league. He has a lot of talent, especially offensive talent. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw Valtteri Pustin again. The only issue is going to be, the Penguins are now healthy with the exception of Matt Nieto. Yeah. It's going to take somebody either getting injured or getting traded away for Valtteri Pustinen to get another shot. I don't see very many spots in this lineup where somebody performs poorly and gets taken out completely for Valtteri Pustinen. Harkins is what he is, but Pustinen's never going to play on the fourth line. He's just not. Achari's not going to get taken out of the lineup. Carter's not going to get taken out of the lineup. Even if a guy in Yesapul Yarvi doesn't look good, he's going to get an extended look. Because they're going to be patient with this guy. They've been patient with him for the two months that he's been with the organization. PTO at the NHL level, PTO at the AHL level. They've been patient because they see something in him. I'd like to see Poussin get another shot. I think he will get one other shot this season. But I think he's played himself into a spot where he can earn an everyday shot next year. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge thing for a kid who's, I believe, still 24 years of age. And a kid that has tremendous offensive upside. So I'm excited to see where he goes from here. But you were right. He did dip. His mm-hmm. ability, his his performance did dip and his ice time fluctuated because of that. He's not a 200 foot player, at least not to the level that Mike Sullivan would want. So that's why you see him, you know, get the short end of the stick and gets to be the one that gets sent back in favor of uh, a red hot yes a
1: Next next training camp could be really interesting too if it should with be. a player like Pusen and getting a much longer extended look, maybe with a guy like Sam Poole and also being there maybe. Maybe, who knows what happens for the rest of the season? Maybe Sam is looking to continue a stretch in the NHL at that point. Um, there's still a lot of stones to be un- overturned here. and just You're right, Pouliarby just comes into the Penguins organization with a longer and, I don't want to say higher ceiling, but likely a higher ceiling mm-hmm. uh, for uh, of, with NHL pedigree. Mm-hmm. Obviously a former fourth overall pick as opposed to Pousin being a seventh. Um, Rounder. Is, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. where you're correct. Thank you for defining. You're that good. One. I slipped. You're that. good. But yeah, it's there's obviously a little bit more of a of a uh, intrigue for Poiviere, mm-hmm. whereas Poussin, and the, the expectations aren't super high, but also the mm-hmm. ceiling is the ceiling already exceeds the expectations. So we know that yeah. there's a lot that can be had there. Um, just for the moment, I mean, the Penguins are in a spot of they need someone that can. And they need players that can help produce now and help win games now. They're still looking yeah. for a playoff spot. There's still games out. They're lucky to have an oh-my-God amount of games in hand, by the way. <laughs> they do, yeah. Um. So the all of the cards are in their favor. They just need to take advantage of those games in hand because that's something that they struggled with a lot last year, and that's something that so far they've struggled with this year. So yeah. if they can get the more of the sure shot, into the lineup, they yeah. will, and that's exactly what Poirier is, and that is not a knock against Pustinan. And it's just they need that. Oh, they need they need that more of a guaranteed. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. At the end of the day, Valteri Pustinen is a goal scorer that had one goal in 21 yeah. games. So you're going to bring in a, a new face, a fresh look for for Jesse Yarvi. Not only that, I think the one thing that you have to notice is look where both of these guys were deployed. Look at what Spotty took over. It's the bottom six. What have we been saying all season long? The Penguins' bottom six is defense first. Yes, they want to score more goals, but defense is the primary concern of the bottom six. Jesse Yarvi is a much better 200-foot player, much better defensive player, than Valtteri Pustin is at this stage of their careers. So they go for for Poole Yarvey in this instance. Who knows how long this you know experiment lasts. I'm excited to see what he looks like at the NHL level, but I'm excited for tonight's game simply because there's a lot, and when I say a lot, I mean a crap ton of storylines heading into this Winnipeg Jets-Pittsburgh Penguins matchup. The Penguins are somehow favorites, and I understand the Jets are losers of I believe it's three straight games going into the All-Star break, but... That's going into the All Star break. I don't think you can take red hot team versus, you know, ice cold team into effect when both teams have had like eight days off. Not to mention the fact the Winnipeg Jets are one of the better teams in the Western Conference. They get Sean Monahan during the All Star break, so he will be potentially making his Winnipeg Jets debut. On the Penguins' side, there's even more storylines we already talked about. Yes, Apul Yarvi returning to NHL action potentially tonight, but Jake Gensel set to play in his 500th career game. It'll be nice to see some discourse around him that's not involving his contract or trade talks, but 500th NHL game for Jake Gensel tonight. 800th NHL game as a coach. For Mike Sullivan, that's combined between his short period of time in Boston and obviously his very long period of time with the Penguins. He is now the second longest tenured current head coach in the National Hockey League behind only John Cooper of the Tampa Bay Lightning, who I believe has two years on him on their current stretches, but... You know, of all the storylines tonight wore up before we send it over to our interview with Jesse Marshall, which was absolutely phenomenal. What is the one thing you're most looking forward to seeing tonight? It's been a while since the Penguins have played a game. What's the one thing you're looking for
1: tonight? Looking forward to a couple things. I'll, just, I'll keep them short, but definitely Paul pot the possibility of Paul return to the NHL. That's um, going to be something worth note because again, like I said in uh, the last little bit there. He's got that draft pedigree. He should still carry a pretty uh, pretty sizable namesake. So him returning to the NHL should be something to watch just in general. But also, it, my real answer is flipping to the Winnipeg Jets side. I kind of want to see how Sean Monahan, Sean Monahan works for them in their system in, in with what they're trying to do. I think heading into this season, during the offseason, the Jets seemed sort of dead in the water. It didn't seem like they were going to get their... You know, Vesna winning goalie back. They didn't. They weren't going to get one of their sharpshooters back. They kind of seemed yeah. like they were about to be a team driving toward a rebuild. And then what did they do? They doubled down on both of those guys. And and then there they were at the top of the league for a little while. <clears throat> sure, things have cooled off a bit since. But um, is Monahan going to be that boost that puts them right back into that position? Uh, and Monahan, anytime he's on the trade board, on a trade board, I consider what he could do with the Penguins lineup. So I think that's sort of where I'm looking at it at as well is just because uh listen, the Penguins haven't had an outstanding over the top third line center since I mean Nick Benino was great, but he wasn't necessarily a Jordan Stahl type. Yeah. So anytime a center hits the board, I always think of where they could land in the Penguins lineup in the third line role. So I'll be curious to see what Sean Monahan can do. And he was that was a name that I always kind of Wanted to see with the Penguins, so I'm curious to see what he can do with Winnipeg.
0: Yeah, I thought about it as soon as you mentioned that you were going to talk about Sean Monahan, I was like, every time yep. in yep. Calgary, yep. even every <laughs> time Sean Monahan came up, you're like, man, I don't know, Nick. And I'd look at you and I'd be like, really? Again, with the Sean Monahan love, I don't listen. Some people they have their players. Yep. Sean Monahan is one of your players that you always keep a keep an eye on, and anytime that comes up in, in external discourse, you always. You know, flash your head over and say, "Whoop, well, squirrel! Where?" For Monahan, what?
1: where? Yeah. <laughs> for what it's worth, Monahan's one. going to say, you know, Pauli yorby has been one for a while. Yorby's always been so one. So this is yes. that's a real, uh, real exciting time for me tonight. Um, Tyler Johnson was for a long time, and now he's just aged out. Uh, yeah. That's an old one, though. Uh, I can't think there was one more. It's not. I'm not remembering. But uh, I always used to have
0: when they both played for the Rangers. My my two were Matt Zuccarello mm. and Carl Haglin, and mm-hmm. one of them. One of them worked out very well for the Penguins, and that, hence the reason that I'm probably one of a very few Penguins, you know, followers that have a Carl Hagelin jersey still hanging up in their uh, in their closet. There's but plenty around. <laughs> there's plenty, but you know, how many people were actually getting the Carl Hagelin jersey? I don't know. But uh, no, my 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 thing for tonight is still Jake Gensel. You yes. know, obviously there's a lot of external coming around for Jake Gensel. There's a lot of external noise for Jake Gensel. He's handled it well to this point. He's performed. Just perfectly to this point of the season. How does that continue as we get closer to the trade deadline? Because the noise is only going to get louder. We saw it throughout the the bye week. We saw it with the Nick Kiprios now proven to be false Mm -hmm. statement about his contract that he was offered by the Penguins. Um, According to Josh Yeo, he hasn't been offered a contract by the Penguins yet. They've been talking, but he hasn't offered anything as of yet. They're kind of just tar- talking about the the framework of a deal. So there's going to get a lot more noise. It's going to get a lot more noisy around Jake Gensel. I'm interested to see how he handles that. And if he's able to say just business as he has been up to this point of the season, uh, something tells me he will. Something tells me he's going to continue to perform just simply because... You know, that's what Jake Gensel has done his entire career, 499 games to this point. Uh, Wouldn't be surprised if he goes out there and pots a goal or two in his 500th. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, joined by Jesse Marshall of The Athletic, we talk about the power play, breakdown, what that looks like, Eric Carlson's performance through 46 games with the Penguins, and a Ryan Graves-Paul Martin comparison that should probably stop happening. We'll have all of that with Jesse after this break. welcome back to the tip of the iceberg podcast brought to you as always by inside the penguins.com we're joined now by freelance hockey writer for the athletic and mckeens hockey you can follow him on x at j marsh fof jesse marshall welcome back to the show
2: thanks for having me back gentlemen good to be here as
0: always very excited to have you back on we obviously have plenty to talk about the penguins haven't you know, even though they haven't played in a week and a half, they've given us plenty to discuss and digest as the all-star break in the bye week goes on. But I think we have to start with everybody's favorite topic, and that is 100% the 31st ranked power play in the National Hockey League. I mean, you've been very outspoken about what you think some of the issues are pertaining to this man advantage unit. What do you think is the main issue in your eyes with this current scheme?
2: Yeah. So I think, at, so if we think about like how, how penalty kills have changed since like Mike Sullivan came into the league, they've gotten significantly more aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we hear the term like power kill thrown around all the time now. Right. And penalty kills, you know, I think they're forechecking checking now as aggressive or even maybe more aggressive than they do at five on five. They're, they're really decidedly trying to prevent zone entries. And we know the data around zone entries is rich, right? We know that zone entries with possession lead to a lot of scoring chances, especially on the power play. So they teams want to shut that down, and they work on a timer. So when you get into the zone offensively, you're on the power play. The penalty kill generally will be waiting for a number of events to take place before they chill out. That's they count passes. They have a timer in their head. You know they give they give you 25 seconds free reign to keep forechecking. It depends on the team, but there's something that happens that shells them, right? That like gives them a little bit more of a passive look while still maintaining some of that aggressiveness. The penguin system right this umbrella right i'm like i can't even say it without regurgitating a little <laughs> bit in my mouth it you know it, it lends itself to being bullied to the exterior of the ice right? The umbrella is spread out. You've kind of got this, it is what it says, right? You've got somebody down front and f- somewhere around the front of the net. And then the mm-hmm. spread of players on the top that you're trying to go cross ice with. That's the whole idea. You execute this motion, you get guys moving, it opens up these lanes. But in the face of these aggressive penalty kills, it just doesn't do any of that. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. And what you end up with is, is the entire power play gets bullied all the way out to the perimeter of the blue line. And that's where they spend the majority of their time. Their chances are generated from that spot. Uh, and you could I can prove this, by the way, by going – you go to hockeyvis.com. Mike is a great guy. Look at the shot map for the Penguins on the power play. The giant darkest blob of red they have is like, I don't know, 25, 30 feet away from the net. It's just up, up, up by the blue line. That's where they're taking their shots. And it's because they can't penetrate anywhere down low to the interior of the ice surface. There's not enough presence for them to win wall battles, to win individual one-on-one battles, to keep the puck down there. My suggestion this whole time is go 2-1-2, two, two, right? 2-1-2, two, mm-hmm. two, you put two guys on each post, divide the offensive zone in half, put somebody as a floater in the middle. That's quite obviously Jake Denzel. You, I mean, the, the most elusive player possibly in the National Hockey League mm-hmm. in terms of scoring goals and traffic. You're not using them like that at all at all right now on the power play. And then I don't care who you put at the point. You could put my You could put your grandmother at the point. That'd be fine with me. Like I just, you, you now have the opportunity to triangulate lower in the offensive zone. You can pinch D in. It just gets so much easier to win wall battles down low when you aren't committed to having these presences in the high circle. So I, I, my problem is you could watch tape from 2016 to study for the penguins power play tonight. Right? Like it's, it can't be a hard prep job. Yeah. If you're another coach. So they got to throw it in the garbage and start all over again. And because to me, you could change personnel until, you know, you're blue in the face, but you're just rearranging chairs on the deck of the Titanic. Like you have a structural inefficiency that mm-hmm. doesn't allow you to penetrate lower, below the circles in high danger scoring areas. That sounds like a really big problem. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know.
1: Yeah, so like hearing all that like, it opened up my mind like so many different like questions that just like have popped up into my head. I'll probably try and narrow it down to one if possible, but in this situation like does it feel like there's someone whether it's a player or players or you know the coaching staff to blame for this and does that sort of, you know, mindset of uh you could study that film, that old film you could still study, does that make teams like a little bit more aggressive against the Penguins at even strength, knowing that they have the penalty kill against them down pat.
2: I think it makes them more aggressive on the penalty kill. I think it, it gives them a, a almost carte blanche, blank check. Remember how I was telling you, you know, every coach that coaches a power a, a penalty kill unit is giving them some kind of cue, right, to like, okay, let's get structured. Let's If you're playing box plus one, you have X amount of events or time that can occur before you need to really go box plus one. I don't think they turn that off for Pittsburgh. I don't think, like, like what Point, you know, I know, if 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 you structurally speaking, by virtue of the way you kill penalties, if you can keep them outside like that, and you can disrupt their zone entries like that, I mean, you know, let them go, right? You might accrue a few scoring chances of your own, you know, uh, in the process. So, um, I, I think it, I think it does lend itself to penalty kills feeling like they have the ability to boss the penguins around and more often than not the penguins get bossed around and, and if, if you know we have a shot heat map what i would really love from player tracking is like a travel heat map
1: mm-hmm. so
2: like you could see where people are standing during a certain period because you i would love to see that data for the power play there it's just going to be a sea of red up from the from the circles up like there's just you know, so I you know where does the blame lie? Like the coach, the players aren't gonna like mutiny the coaches, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just come up with their own idea. But like for me, like if this belongs to Todd Reardon, I mean, I I can't. What is what other answer yeah. can I? I, mean, I don't want to throw the guy under the bus, but like if if you know if he's considered a, the
0: power play coach, and this is the power play,
2: this is where we're left with, right? And I don't, okay. I haven't seen enough systematic changes Mm -hmm. in zone systematic changes like established possession Mm -hmm. they've had set plays and stuff and some have worked but i don't think that we've seen like a wholesale change to like the actual place people are aligned on the ice Mm
0: -hmm. you mentioned that you don't think personnel really would change much if anything whenever it comes to you know flipping deck chairs on the titanic like you said but it seems like whenever they put pustin in and Chris Latang out there for those couple of opportunities right before the break. It seemed like something changed. It seemed like they were at least trying to work the puck down low. Do you think that that's a sustainable change where if you bring these guys in, they're going to work the puck lower? Or do you think that they're still going to end up running that umbrella offense?
2: I think they'll still run it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the one thing you say about those scenarios is like Valteri has never met a shot on a power play that he didn't in, enjoy taking, yeah. right? So like I, you know, and which you don't begrudge him for because it's like that's what he's good at, right? Mm-hmm. Like so don't you know, let your shooter shoot. But I think that shooting creates chaos, right? It inherently forces people to react and step outside of where their assigned area is, and it creates a numbers advantage for the power play. If the shot goes wide, it kicks into the corner of the boards. You can get a man number advantage in that puck battle work it out, keep it alive, wash rinse repeat, shoot to your heart's content. So, I, I you know, I don't think the Penguins' problem is that they're not shooting enough. I think that that is a symptom of their larger problem, right? Mm-hmm. They their inability to generate like consistent scoring chances stems from where people are aligned and the fact that they can't you know, I think if you look at the goal of an umbrella, right? The utopian umbrella is the Penguins' version of it when James Neal was here, mm-hmm. where he was a true presence in the middle. And you had a 40 goal scorer planted in the middle that penalty kills had to commit resources to that. Mm -hmm. They had to, you could not let James Neal stand there uncontested, right? That was not going to work. And, and what that did was drove everybody lower, right? Who's that man now? I don't have the answer. I don't think you guys have the answer. There's no defined role. There's no one that's demanding that space in the slot. So uh, you're looking for these cross ice plays, but you don't have anyone going through the middle to eat up, you know, all that space or all those bodies to create those lanes. So they're not going to create themselves, right? Mm -hmm. That's just not the way it works. And I think it, you know, you end up in this like stagnant thing where where guys end up playing patty cake up, you know, 10 feet, you know, uh, above the circle.
0: Now I know, you know, power play has been the biggest point of contention and appreciate you. You breaking that down for us better than either of us could do on our own. That's why we bring you on. You're, (laughs) you're, you're the master when it comes to that. But I do want to ask a little bit about, Eric Carlson when it comes to his overall play. His first year hasn't gone nearly as well as everybody had hoped or expected. What have you thought about his play at even strength? And obviously both of us have said defensively much better than we expected. It was a low bar, but he surpassed that. Offensively, though, and some of the responsibility aspect of the game, we've been a little disappointed in what he's shown. What have you seen from EK sixty five?
2: I think he's been okay. You know, mm-hmm. uh I you know, a hundred points wasn't gonna happen on no. this team. You know, that that was an environmental uh, reflection of San Jose's state at the time and how good of a player he was. And he had, you know, I think a freedom there to, you know, operate with sort of, again, a blank check and do whatever he wanted to do. And mm. he was the only player over there could do anything. So it didn't really make a difference anyway, right? Like let him play whatever position he wants. I didn't think that he was going to get anywhere near that number here, but mm. I'm surprised by how low the point total is trending. And I'm surprised by, I'm not surprised by his lack of impact on the power play because for San Jose, like he was not the, the, the architect or, or the, um, um, who's the guy, the, um, uh, maestro, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I don't know where I was going there, uh, that was making the whole thing work, right? He was mm-hmm. a trigger man, you know, he'd shoot, he'd shoot well. Um, I think now, you know, his role there has changed, but I'm not super surprised by that. The even strength is where I'm surprised. It's not a bigger impact, mm-hmm. uh, cause he's surrounded with much better forwards, right? No question about that. Yeah. Um, I just, uh, you know defensively it's been what I think again fine uh there's been moments where you watch me like oh my god that was bad <laughs> you know, like, you yeah. know but, then, but you don't care like I don't really care you know that that comes with the territory right so mm-hmm. I'm not going to complain that my cat meows so um yeah I that's it I think a lot of people are feeling left disappointed but I think that's more of a reflection of and this is not a shot at anyone but if your expectation was like super high towards 100 points again you're probably feeling kind of let down right now right like mm-hmm. that's understandable right um i think i think at the end of the day here's what i think you didn't need to do this yeah like you didn't Mm -hmm. really you're like i don't feel like anything's drastically changed for the penguins Mm -hmm. right now like with this trade and they're still in the same position that they were in last year and frankly that means i'm wrong because i got on twitter and said i thought that the carlson lift would be enough for them to finish comfortably within a wild card spot Mm -hmm. um and you know uh, comfortably is not the word i would use to describe the situation they're in right now so uh i don't know you know um it's just uh it's one of those things that uh yeah maybe yeah. i was you know maybe we were all a little bit a uh, little bit chomping at the bit a little too hard here is is i think but again i want to be clear i think whether you look at it from video or analytics or whatever methodology you choose he's mm. not playing bad hockey i want to be very no. clear. Nowhere near bad. Not a problem, even. Like you mm-hmm. can't even bring his name up as a problem. I think he's just not getting to the level that people like thought he would eventually ascend to.
0: And I think the other thing too is, and we talked about it, we tried to separate it there, obviously, but if the power play was going along at eighteen, nineteen yeah. percent and not a drastically thirteen point one, I don't think people would be highlighting, you know, Eric Carlson's play in total as much as they are. I really want to I want to ask you really quickly about his defense partner right now in Ryan Graves, because I have never heard Paul Martin's name invoked more than I have this season. And that goes back to when Paul Martin even played on the penguins. Do you think it's a similar situation in total, or do you think people are just looking at that and saying, well, that's a defensive defenseman that struggled and then was better. This is a defensive defenseman who's struggling. So he should be better. Do you think there's similarities in their game or is this just a different combination that people are trying to make? That doesn't really fit what we're seeing from Ryan Graves. To grow, to
2: to quote the great Cardinals coach Dennis Green, they are who we thought they were. Um, no, this is these aren't comparable situations at all to yeah. me. Paul Martin had this like extended run of high level of success, mm-hmm. right? Came here and then it went, and then it went right back up, yeah. right? Ryan Graves, this is just who he is. Like, you know, he wasn't. He's never been at the level Paul Martin was when the Penguins got him, right? Yeah. Like, like I want to be very clear about that. Like, Paul Martin was much, much better of a defenseman. So, I, you know, I think that the problem is is that in this environment, right, in this specific environment Ryan Graves is in right now is mm-hmm. not good for him, right? Because he's, no matter what, if he's in the top six, he's paired with a guy who is going to demand the puck, mm-hmm. control the breakout, and want to contribute offensively, which is all the things mm-hmm. Ryan Graves wants to do. That's where he's at his most useful. So now his his role has become Marcus Pedersen. He cannot do that, just can't. He I, I I said this when he was signed. He's one of the least physical defensemen I've ever seen, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because you'd say the same thing about like Eric Carlson, right? You'd yeah. say the same thing about a number of really talented defensemen. But think about that adjective, not physical, in relation to defensive defenseman role. Mm-hmm. Do those two things go together? No. Like. No, so I think it's, it's, it's it sticks out like a sore thumb that when you put him in this third pairing, his numbers go up through the roof. He looks the best he's ever looked when you limit his minutes, minutes and change his environment. You know, he's always been a guy who wants to get the puck across the blue line with possession and shoot it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That is his best. That is where he is at his best. And if you can find that role for him, he will thrive and he mm-hmm. will put up numbers that put him around the like probably 75th percentile of defensemen overall in the NHL. And you'll take that every time but that's not where he is now the results reflect that that's not where he is now and i think at times defensively the way he plays the game and what he's looking to do and 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 where his mind is has put him sometimes i think as a passenger in these odd man break situations right like mm-hmm. he's not well suited to handle them and i think that it, that's shown so um it's not a good fit it's not a good fit for who they have him paired with um i think they've got to try to get his focus to be you know, less on jumping the play, right? Mm-hmm. Be less involved on, on that direction, and 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 you're going to have forward help. But work with the forward help. That's where your cue is, right? You need to be do, working off where the back check is and moving with the flow. That's all like coachable stuff. But you know, it's not what he's been doing for the last couple of years. So I don't, I'm not surprised necessarily that you know these have been the results given the mm-hmm. environment he's in.
1: Yeah, a lot of that forward help that you're discussing has been Sidney Crosby, who's having one of those seasons that I don't think anyone was expecting, even at the age of 36. But um, one thing that's popped up a lot more recently is this discussion of, again, him not finishing his career in Pittsburgh. Uh, Just genuinely, what have your thoughts been on that sort of topic? Is that something that could even slightly be in the cards? Or are we going to get the press release on July July 1st about an extension? Uh, Yeah, we're getting the
0: parcel, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no worries at all. No worries at all None. None. No. I'm, like, I'm not actually if you're asking for
2: my percent concern level over that, yeah. it is it is below 0. 0.5. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm and I you know, I don't know, maybe he could retire. I don't know, maybe he shocks us all and walks away <laughs> from the game or something like that. But like I would remind people the state of the penguins, like at both points of Lemieux's retirements and returns. Mm-hmm. They weren't competing for a Stanley Cup. They just weren't. Like they were good. Mm -hmm. They were a playoff team. They were a team that like got in and made some noise and almost went to the Stanley Cup final in 2000. But uh, well, not almost. They went to the Eastern Cup. I shouldn't say that. You lose in five. It's not almost. But (laughs) the point I'm trying to make is, is it's like nobody had that speculation about him right? Like there was never the speculation of Mary's going to go play some, maybe there was, and I'm just too young to, or was too young to remember it. But I, I just, I, I think we're, people are bored, man. I think that's all it is. And <laughs> they, people really want Sidney Crosby to play on their hockey team. Cause they're looking Yuck. at what he's doing at 36 years old. And they're thinking I could do, if he could do that at 37, sign me up for 90 points. So um, yeah, we're good.
0: I don't think Mary Lemieux had a MVP caliber hometown friend either. That's playing on a rival team like Nathan McKinnon. <laughs> but I mean, that, that helps the speculation, but True. Jesse, Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you giving us some time here. Obviously, it's going to be a very interesting month as the trade deadline looms in about five weeks from today. But we appreciate you coming on the show, sharing your insight on the power play, and hopefully uh, some of these things that can get fixed. But appreciate you coming on and giving the time. Go Pioneers. Go Pioneers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.